0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Bluewire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. Crystal Palace One, Newcastle United one. You've got Norman Riley, Pete Davy, and Chris Shipman. Who were there, they were in the away end at Sell His Park to talk to you today about Newcastle United's point. Is it a good point? Was it a good performance? Where do I go from here in the Graham Jones era? Pete, I'm gonna start with you, mate. How was your day?
2: Um, I really enjoyed that away day, if I'm honest with you. Um, you know, results aside, uh there's no better feeling than getting to london st pancras and hearing the the, the roar of uh, newcastle fans uh, chanting screaming uh, the the whole place down you know that the Geordies are there you know it's an away day um and there was there was a different kind of feel um to to the reaction um and to the fans today uh, or yesterday should i say it, it was a it was a really really um Really, really good feeling. It was a feeling as if there was a new era there, um, that things had been cleansed at the club. And I love that word, "cleanser." I know Norm's used it before um, uh, and I've stole it, so I apologise. But I think it's a great word to use and I think it's a great word to to explain how the Newcastle fans felt yesterday. there were very interesting chants. Uh, it's uh, when I got off the train at Selhurst Park of "We're Newcastle uh, and we're going to buy the league," which got um, a <laughs> few uh, laughs from uh, the Crystal Palace fans. But um, uh, and it was all sort of tongue in cheek, but it was very much of the of, of the mindset and the feel of Newcastle fans. Um, I have to say, when I got into the into the stadium, it really did feel like a celebration. Um, There was people on top of each other in terms of on top of their shoulders, uh, singing, dancing, Saudi flags in the air, Newcastle flags in the air. It was a real party feel. um, And, you know, it, it felt different. It really did feel different. And it's the one time that I've been to an away game that actually I was able to get to the bar. There was a little corner where you could just sneak in um, because no one was queuing. But there wasn't a way in because it was literally blocked off by everyone, jumping up and down, singing, screaming, chanting. um, And that's what everyone was there for. There was only a little small section as you entered the away stand that everyone was stood by, so you couldn't actually get into the way stand to go and sit or stand because everyone was blocking it off just because that was the only way you could actually have your drink. Um, it was the only little spot that you could drink and it was uh, It was really, really, um, really, really enjoyable just to be in and around the atmosphere. And I remember messaging my mates when I got in there and just said, look, th- th- this this feels different today. You know, win, lose or draw. It really did feel like it was a new era and it was a... It was a, it's you know exciting times ahead for Newcastle fans.
3: Spot on there, pizza uh, Description in terms of it, it feeling, it feeling different. Um, when I arrived in London yesterday, I had it doing from um, London Bridge to Penge and just walked in, walked in the pub. The Pauline you know, Arms, a bit, bit of a ropey pub, but um, a really, a really enjoyable atmosphere. Like a really kind of a rowdy pub that you really want to kind of have a good day drinking in. And um, I got in there and it was just. I think the lads the lads I met there, um, Sean and Ali, and I was with 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 John, me mate, and um it was just immediate, it was like, oh yeah, straight off the bat. And it hasn't for me, it hasn't been like that. I would say since Benitez was in charge. And that might sound a bit harsh, but I remember me and Chris went up to um up to Norwich in Bruce's second game. And at that point, you know, the the kind of you're trying to reserve judgment on, on what it might be like under Steve Bruce. But that game and that day almost, it, it kind of something flipped inside me. It was like, yeah, this is just going to be horrible. For however long this happens, it's going to be horrible. And it kind of has been. Whereas yesterday felt like Aye, things are things are going to start moving in in the right direction. And I was at Spurs, the Spurs game last week. Whereas in the city, the atmosphere was fantastic right up to the game. And obviously, you know, the, the kind of mad, mad five minutes of kickoff were brilliant. Those physical reminders of what had gone on for the last two years. I mean, 14 years, if you want to look at it from that, from the kind of just an Ashley perspective, but the sports direct signs, Bruce in the dugout, it it, it was almost like, yes, there's a change happened, but it doesn't, I kind of, I kind of haven't accept, quite accepted it yet. Whereas yesterday, even though Jones worked under Bruce, and even though I'm, I'm pretty sure, did I see Steve Agnew on the sideline? I'm just imagining that. Uh, so the coaching staff, so it did feel different and, and the atmosphere was absolutely incredible. And um, I'm sure Chris will comment on, how crowded it was. It was definitely a COVID super spread event. I'm, I'm absolutely bricking it taking a lateral flow test in the next couple of days. But um, the the ground itself, it does, where, where, Pete, where Pete was talking about getting a drink at the bar, they do, um Sammy draft, which is quite nice, but um, it does feel a bit like a sort of underground bunker I went to in Prague in the late 90s. Um, and I'm too old for that now, so yes. Knock it down, I see. Knock it down, but I am absolutely brilliant, brilliant pre-match build-up. Um, I, it's, it, it could well be the start of a, a new era. Do you want Linton up top, lads?
4: <laughs> yeah, Norm, you've set me up for a, a bit of humble pie eating. Because on the, the preview podcast that we did for patrons, uh, I was saying what fantastic ground that Selhurst Park is. You know, for its kind of old school feel and kind of loud charm and atmosphere, and it does have them. But also in a kind of COVID or post-COVID, whatever world we're in now. Um, doesn't quite have the same charm uh, with everyone kind of being pressed together. So uh, yeah, I'm kind of going to walk back my answer that I had on the preview on that. Um, but I'll just echo what you both said. I think the thing for me about it was it was a return to a sense of anticipation, looking forward to what was going to happen, and the sense that things were unknown. And you know, what are the reasons that we go to football for? Yes, to support the club that we love, but also because of the inherent drama that is in game and you know not knowing what's going to happen we've not had that for far too long so you know we don't know what the kind of probably quite short graham jones era is going to bring we don't know what's going to happen afterwards but it was the sense that you know something different is possible something else is going to happen and i think in that kind of vein i don't think i've ever kind of refreshed twitter like i was doing um you know in the build up to to two o'clock for that lineup I'm just really fascinated to know what the lineup was and the club actually leaked it themselves five, 10 minutes early on Instagram, which kind of sent us into a bit of a kind of a frenzy on whether this was real or not. But um, yeah, just the return to kind of um, a sense of occasion and uh, yeah, what could be.
1: one, sound, man. It sounds like a cracking day. I watched um, in the pub, which is the first, a first in about 10 years. You know, I just happened to be in the pub, was going to watch on my phone and then on the big screen, there it is, Newcastle United playing at Crystal Palace, away end booming sounded unbelievably loud on TV, unbelievably. And we're still not very good. I'm sure we're gonna talk about that in this podcast. Might touch on it. But the, the, the sense the sense of support was just like it was probably my favorite part of watching that game, apart from Callum Wilson's goal, was just hearing the away end consistently, you know, completely out singing, as you'd expect from away fans, but out singing the home fans. And it just it just feels like Newcastle United's back. It's not about being good. It's not about winning the league. Those things will be nice, and I'm sure we'll get there eventually with them. But i just sensed a real pride from that away end yesterday. Maybe it's a little bit of togetherness because everyone seems to be against us at the minute, media, other football fans, Jurgen Klopp, Bizarrely, loads of people like that kicking off about us relentlessly just seems to have, have brought us together even more, and that's really, really, really positive for me. And there's a lot of pride. I think there's a lot of pride anyway about Newcastle and the football club at the minute and what we've got back. But I think there's even more pride in supporting our club, which is what we do so well. Norman, let's let's get into it then. The, the, the Graham Jones era, if it is to be an era, as Chris says, because it might not last very long. How was it for you, mate? What did you make of that point yesterday?
3: Incredibly fortunate at this point. We, um, you know, if you watch you watch back the highlights, you're at the game and it felt like we were being slapped. I mean, it really did. Um, I think you could argue that defensively there was you know we were, we weren't organized let's say but to me it was more a case of that kind of last ditch desperate defending which suggests that obviously there's a kind of renewed determination in the players right you get that there's, there's more there's more of a fight right um so that that's one thing I will say is the players did not like they didn't give up at any point um, despite the fact that palace were were dominating the ball they created I mean you're looking at what a good four real clear cut chances as well so it was it was a difficult performance to watch. But, but even then, weirdly, despite the fact that Palace were dominating, I did have this... There was a little bit of confidence inside me. I did think, we'll we'll get something, yeah, we'll get something, yeah. And obviously, when you've got Callum Wilson up top, uh, you've always got a chance, right? I mean, the goal itself, I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but wow, wow, something spectacular. Um, I did... I, I must say that when we saw the lineup as Chris has leaked on Instagram, I wonder if we um, get to the stage where Pelia is finds out they dropped via Instagram one day. I'm sure that'll happen. Um... You know, much much I called all I found out in the press. Someone will find out on Instagram that they've been dropped. Um, but I think looking at the lineup and trying to sort of work out what the formation was, it became quite obvious that it was a you know three uh, three centre halves, two wing backs, and then you're trying to figure out what positions you're going to see in terms of Maximeen, Fraser and Hayden. And then when I saw when the players came out and they kind of lined up, it became obvious that Fraser was on the left hand side of an narrow midfield and Hayden on the right hand side. And that threw me a bit, I must say. I I did think, well, does this indicate that a lot of the tactical input over the last sort of six to ten months has been from Graham Jones? Um, A little bit disconcerting and for all of the huff and puff of players like Hayden and Fraser, they still weren't playing in their best positions, so they still weren't as effective as I feel they could be if... um, if there had been, you know, Fraser on the right hand side, for example, which is where, which is where he plays a wide right, not not a not as a narrower midfield on the left hand side of a of a midfield three. So that was a bit disconcerting. And what it suggests is, as much as personally I like Graham Jones, I mean, he's he's from Gateshead for a start, which is where I'm from. It's I think possibly the first manager from Gateshead in Newcastle's history. Um, I'll I'll double check. I'm sure there's probably someone in like 1903 managed them, but um, you know, I mean, my history doesn't stretch that back far. But um, and, and he's patting before the game, very much a uh, incredibly proud Jordy. Right, there's no two ways about it. And you get the impression with Jones that he is. Someone who has followed Newcastle all of his life. Bruce, yes, he's from Newcastle. Yes, he supported him as a kid. But he moved away and became a Man U fan, really. Whereas Jones, you still feel that he's a is an act, He's a genuine Newcastle fan. And for him, it must have been a, a great day. So, all in all, mate, um, you know, Jones isn't the answer to the problem that we have at the moment. But yesterday, I saw a lot of fight there. And you've got to give him credit for that, right? The players responded to him.
1: Very interesting, mate. And there has been some comments on social media about, about Jones getting it you know, coming up, coming over to the way end after the game, punching the air, genuinely feeling like he is a he is part of the football club, not just here to pick up his money and moan and whatever else we got from his predecessor. It's a question I'm I kind of interested in this from all three of you, but Norman I'll start with you, all right? I think that's a really, really good point. Okay. That's a really good point. Crystal Palace are fourteenth in the league. But that probably doesn't do them justice in terms of how they perform this season. I mean, Patrick Vieira must be thinking, how have I not taken six points this week on the two performances? But Newcastle had, what, 21% possession in the first half? 25% possession in the second half? If Crystal Palace had won that game 3 or 4-1, I really don't think we could have complained. Do you think, this is, there's an argument out there, that we're adding a little bit of gloss to this? Because, and again, I'm, I'm most interested in your opinions, because you were there, lads and you felt it and you saw it and you celebrated it full-time, you celebrate with Graham Jones, are we adding a little bit of gloss here? that once again Newcastle have been very poor and very, very fortunate not to have been soundly beaten here. And in terms of staying in the Premier League, this hasn't actually told us that much more
0: about this club and this team moving forward. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: The, the first part of your question, definitely, I'm, I'm hugely, hugely fortunate at this rate. Right? We, we got absolutely dominated yesterday. Um, I think Vieira is... Doing incredible work at Crystal Palace. He could argue they should have had nine points in the last three games if you take the Brighton game into, into it as well. Um, and uh, he's had to like I mean, he's had to kind of create a revolution immediately, right? The Hodgson losing eight players, the way that the you know, you know, the, the way that those that, that team had been set up for years, he's done brilliantly and they were way, way better than us yesterday. Way better. However, however, we still got a point out of the game, right? Despite the fact we could have lost by three or four goals and not complain, we still got a point. And what that suggests is is there was even though the performance itself was poor over, over across the board, what I saw from the players yesterday was a bit of fight. So the new person coming in, there is clearly something there. There is clearly something there to work with. So I'm I'm trying I'm trying to be objective, uh, but I can't because I, again at that match yesterday, that, that put it this way, the optimism I felt during the game, even though I've been dominated, right, I still didn't feel we're going to lose the game. Those players, it's probably even more for them, right? They, they've They've got this kind of um, this blank slate. They've got this new start. The new the new man's coming in. So their their determination, their optimism. I think that regardless of how bad we were yesterday, I, I still saw I still saw a kind of you know like a little bit of of what the new manager has to inherit, and that and that gives me that gives me faith. However, what I will say is that we need to get the new man in like as soon as possible because the run of fixtures we have coming up is incredibly tough, and also. We can't sign any players until January, right? So we need, we need the new man in the SAP, but i still maintain a little a little bit of hope, mate, based on what I saw yesterday.
2: Yeah, um, I have to agree. I mean, you could argue that we could have comfortably lost the game. However, you know, the, the way in which we set up w- w- wasn't really much different in terms of our formation, in terms of the style that we play. There wasn't anything revolutionary um, that Graham Jones put in place for us. Um, I was disappointed that um, the likes of Fabian Shaw and Jamal Lewis didn't start. Um, I was disappointed to see uh, Clark in the team um, because I thought he was horrendous against uh, Spurs. I thought it was, if there was one player to be dropped, it was him. Um, and yeah, uh, uh, it, it, the disappointing thing for me um, uh, was how passive our forward line was in the first half. Um, with the forward line that we had, you would expect them to press high, to to, to put them under pressure. Um, to make them make mistakes and we didn't. We kind of just sat off um and let them have the ball deep and bring the ball forward. The lack of pressing allowed them to play through the midfield with uh, absolute ease. Um and that's not what you want when you're a team that's set up with with ultimately a back five. It wasn't it wasn't a three five two it was a it, it was a five three two uh, effectively because um of how deep we were uh, and it, you know that that created the mentality. The mentality is through the team. People will talk about the defense and how we, you know, how we set up at the back. It's how you start going forward. And the fact that Alan saint Maximin and, and Callum Wilson were so passive in their ability to press the ball high up, it set the tone for the rest of the team. Uh, and that's why we saw such, a, in my opinion, such a a real like poor performance in the first half. Um, it was just set up, really, to try and just, you know, try and hold out, really. It, 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 we were trying to play a game of two halves, effectively. And we've done this We've done this quite a lot, you know, before in the Bruce. Uh, again, when Graham Jones came in, what we do is we set up to not concede in the first half and then try and nick it in the second. And I felt very early on that that was the mentality. Um, what I do have to say is is that I thought the organisation of that back three, uh, in particular the three center backs was a hell of a lot better um and although i questioned kieran clark i actually thought he was the best of the three at the back i actually thought he defended well um uh, uh, yesterday um and uh you know Lascelles did well I thought Kraft used his pace well um to get in and close down I thought the areas where we were really really sort of um under pressure was uh Elise uh, Elise on the um, on their right hand side uh, he he gave a tired time to um to Matt Ritchie um, Matt Ritchie was very, very focused on not letting him get down the wing, but actually didn't realise for the first 10 minutes that he was left-footed. So what he was doing is cutting back onto his left and just whipping the ball in. And we didn't find a way of stopping that um, at all. Um, it, it was all very, very passive. Uh, and um, going back to the point that Norman said, the one thing that I took from that game is that once we went 1-0 down, there was a reaction. Because many a time before, in many a game under Bruce and beyond and before that, um, there wasn't. Re- there's not a reaction from this team. There was a reaction. You could see, you know, we went up 10% straight after they scored the goal. And actually, rather than sit back, sit back and allow them to potentially score a second, we went at them and created a number of chances on the back of that um, in which we got the goal from. And I think the fact that we scored not long after they they put they put themselves in the lead really gave us was a, a sense of uh, optimism that we could actually go on and, and achieve something.
3: Spot on there, Pete. The, the point about the uh, the forwards is is absolutely bang on because I remember yesterday the lads I was stood with it was just we're just repeating to each other why aren't the press why aren't the pressing we were so deep and and every time Palace had the ball at the back. There was absolutely zero kind of chasing down, just something as simple as chasing down. Now, I would say a couple of things about that. I think that's been Newcastle United for the last two and a half years, right? That is what we are. We're a passive side, as you say. The forwards don't close down because that is something I'm I'm guessing that they're they're told not to do or they're not being told to do it um, specifically. And this, again, makes me think, well, actually, when a new man comes in, I think we'll, we'll see that immediately. I think that'll change me because it's so obvious to us as fans, right? That we're just not, we are not putting any pressure on their back line at all when, when they've got the ball. Um, and I think that'll change. But also, and I think Alex, you maybe mentioned this to me last week in a conversation. It's the fitness levels as well, right? The the thing is, Wilson and Maxi Mean, uh, Wilson especially, is the kind of forward who, has, who harasses and harries, right? But, but, he's had a lot of injuries since he's been at Newcastle. And also, those players, to me, don't necessarily look that are kind of an optimum fitness, and that probably does tie into how training has been for the last couple of years. So, so those two things, the new man comes in, new coaching staff, the players will be what say three or four weeks down the line, they'll be a lot fitter, and I think they'll be tooled to kind of press higher up the pitch. So again, this is this is a little this is a little thing that gives me hope. I don't think it's the players themselves who are who are poor. I just think it's the fact that for two years they've been kind of drilled into playing this incredibly passive style of football.
4: I'm going to try and be optimistic and try and be positive here i've got to say that when i left the ground yesterday i did i wasn't entirely happy with it but to be positive i think pete you're right to mention a, a few things there um you know but for Ben benteke palace would have run away with it but you know bruce's luck has become jones's luck um so you know we'll take that um but kind of two extra positives that i want to want to mention you pete you rightly mentioned craft you kind of mentioned him in passing there i think credit where credit is due I think rightly on this podcast we have said time and time again for pretty much all of this time here that Emil Kraft is not a Premier League player and is not sufficiently good for this level. Um, I don't really know how he gets in the Sweden squad. Maybe that says something about the death of defenders in Sweden. But anyway, but yesterday I thought he played very well. Could have had a goal, remember, as well. Cleared off the line at the other end. Uh, so, you know, may, maybe he kind of adds something that as a squad player um, that, you know, we should give credit for. I think the other positive that I would give is Carl Darlow. Um, you know, obviously we're all hoping that Martin Dubravka comes back. We were hoping he'd be back a couple of weeks ago. It just hasn't happened for whatever reason. But again, credit where credit is due. You know, for for Darlow coming off his line well, um, seemed to organise the defence fairly well. Um, yeah, I thought he had a pretty good game. And you know, look where we were earlier in the season. You know, shipping three or four goals or whatever it was. Um, on multiple occasions, Freddie Woodman, you know, had a really tough debut in this side. Um, and while Carl Darlow is not Martin Dubravka, um, you know, I think he's 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 decent at this level. And yeah, credit to him for what was a kind of a fairly decent performance. Yeah, I just wanted to add on to to what. Um
2: to what Norm was saying about, uh, in particular, the, the, the fitness, the fitness side of things, particularly the attacking players. Um, I actually, you know, I actually partly agree with that, but I actually partly agree, uh, believe that I think the likes of Seth Maxey and, and Callum Wilson and one or two others in the squad uh, have a fear of getting injured, which is why they don't play at their 100% maximum. So you don't see Callum Wilson... Um, Doing the the full on running unless he's guaranteed to be in on goal or is guaranteed a chance at goal. Uh, He he always plays at sort of 90%. And I've noticed uh, and I'll talk a little bit about um, this later on with Alan Set Maxman is that he at times plays at 80, 70% because I think there's a risk there. Um, of of, it, of him getting injured and I think there's a risk in his mind. I think it's a, it's a mentality thing because of the amount of injuries they've had. So I think there's times where he could give more, particularly with the pressing because if you're pressing someone high you're having to produce a hell of a lot more sprints in the game and if you're producing a hell of a lot more sprints there's an opportunity there that later on in the game that you're going to pull up with a muscle injury and we know with both of those players they've got history with muscle injuries and I think that's that's a big. That's that's a big concern, um, and that's where in these type of situations you need players to come in uh, and and take the load off them, um, and that's where we're really struggling at the moment. And it just highlights the the, the need to strengthen the squad in all in all areas um, in January because we need those players to be playing at hundred percent maximum if we're going to get the absolute best out of them. I fully believe that if we would press the Crystal Palace high up the pitch on Saturday. That, that they would have conceded his chances. They would have, because they weren't great at the back. They weren't great on the ball. They weren't an amazing side defensively, but we allowed them to look better than what they were because we didn't put pressure on them in the way in which we should have. But there's definitely a mentality thing in a risk of getting injured for a number of our players in the team currently.
3: That's a, that's a that's a great point. And what, what I would see is, again, and this is me sort of clinging to... The optimism is that when a new manager comes in, if this is the right appointment, so you think of you think of Benitez when he was in charge, right? You think of the how the players were conditioned and how little we suffered from injuries. What I would like, what I like to think, is that this new person comes in and players such as Maximin and Wilson, that conditioning is just absolutely spot on. So you will start seeing that extra ten percent. And as you say, if we bring in a genuine understudy or competition for Wilson then that'll again that'll kind of ch- that'll change things so I do I do think you're right there is this fear of getting injured, injured but with the right coaching staff the right manager in that's something that we might see might see disappear so again again there is you know there's, there's room for there's plenty of optimism right let's be optimistic good
1: good points lads this is a really interesting discussion and, and Chris this might be partially what it's like watching it on TV to be in the way end. I actually thought two of Newcastle's worst Performers yesterday were called Dollar and meal Craft. Um, I mean, it, it is all about moments. and I'm, I'm concentrating on moments. Now I'm only looking at, looking at the players when the ball is near them. Ultimately, whereas you 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 have a a broader view about what's going on off the ball, following runs, you know, filling space, all those kind of things. I'm probably not seeing, but I thought Benteke in particular, they clearly clearly targeted two players along our back five, and that was Kraft and Richie. Um, Benteke Teke was pulling off onto Kraft, particularly in the first half, relentlessly. You know, that header that hit the post, Kraft doesn't even get off the floor. And I suppose that, you know, if I'm going to be critical of Graham Jones, I'm thinking some of the batshit mental team selections we've seen this season, I've been blaming Steve Bruce, but you've gone with, you know, Norman sent me a, a, a message before saying, if you look at Palace's bench, which is very strong, by the way, very strong indeed, a lot of those players would walk into our first team. Well, I think a lot of players in our bench should walk in our first team, like Miguel Almaron um, and, and several others, Joe Willock, uh, Jamal Lewis, I think, um, would, would should all be starting for me. But it's one game, and it's, it's a game where we've gone in and we've got a point, so I can't be too critical um, of that. But Darlow as well, Benteke actually heads the ball, I think, on the six-yard line. I think Martin Dubravka comes and claims that ball, and at this level, we're so reliant on those moments going our way because we create so little in the game and we are so passive, like you lads have all said. I feel, and again, I'm not, I'm not criticizing the selection of Darlow in particular. It's just, I think, the more we play with these players who I believe are below the required standard of the Premier League, crucial moments like that go against you. And for all of the reasons, like you lads have correctly said, which we, we simply don't have enough. At the minute, we don't have enough to A, keep a clean sheet, which is a massive problem. And base score twice in the game. Would it look like scoring twice in the game, even though we scored twice against Spurs, but that was with a huge, a huge slice of luck. So I think that's interesting anyway, but Chris, I mean, first of all, you could either come back on any of those points, but if you want to move on, I know you're really keen to talk about Newcastle's central midfield, which has been a problem for a long time at the club, and I think you're going to say it was a problem yesterday.
4: Uh, yes, yes I am. I'm, you know, I've done my positive points, and you're, you're right to kind of critique a couple of them. Uh, that's that's fair enough, but uh, yeah, I think to be uh, critical, I think the midfield is the area we probably almost threw it away. Um, I think centre, it's fair to say that centre midfield, defensive midfield, has long been a problem position for us. It's been kind of patched up over the last kind of decade or so. Uh, Diamo had a good kind of six to nine months where he was a world beater, but you know, definitely since then we haven't necessarily had anything aside from you know Willock when he came in, um, you know, for a couple of months earlier uh, in the year. Um, the trio that we had starting in midfield yesterday, you know, we had Sean Longstaff and Isaac Hayden probably pick themselves, uh, given that Willock is still unfit and apparently has been having, uh, injections in his toe, uh, for a little while now. Uh, and then also Shelby suspended uh, for stupidly getting himself sent off. So Longstaff and Hayden, you know, totally understand that. But to have Ryan Fraser in centre mids, uh, for me was a mistake. It was kind of mentioned earlier. Jones said in his pre-match press conference uh, at the end of the uh, working week that everyone knew their job, but for me that wasn't evident. And I think Ryan Fraser is the um, is the kind of example of that. I, I think it could be argued that actually he, by being played out of position there, actually confused things for the two other players. Now, Sean Longstaff and Isaac Hayden are limited, but we have seen particularly under. Um, I was going to say the previous manager, the previous manager, but one, Rafa Benitez, that actually they can be coached to be very effective at this level. But I think having Ryan Fraser in there, first, he doesn't play to his strengths. And because he's not a natural central midfielder, he disrupted the other two. Um, they didn't press or kind of move as a unit. Fraser, because he's naturally a winner, kind of kept drifting wide and to the point where, you know, I, I wasn't sure whether he was being played as a central midfielder. Um, and had to check but apparently he was, but he was kind of moving around. So much that wasn't necessarily um, clear. I do understand that it is hard to find a place for Ryan Fraser and, you know, he is a good player. He proved that at Bournemouth and we know historically that he has linked up well with Callum Wilson, but, you know, partly and largely actually through injury, he hasn't done that in his time here. So, you know, maybe he is a luxury player is he a player that we can afford to have in a relegation battle? I'm not necessarily sure, but particularly based on yesterday. And I think the final thing I would say about Fraser and just that midfield trio that didn't work is because the way that Fraser was disrupting the central midfield, the players that they were shielding um, in the defence, particularly the cells, you know, he's not... Good with the ball at his feet. You definitely saw a sense of panic there. You know, hoofing the ball even more than kind of usual. Um, and there was a kind of, there was clearly a kind of, um, you know, if you're having the likes of um, Edouard and Zaha running at you, a sense of kind of panic of not knowing how to deal with them. So the final thing that I would say there is, you know, we had Fabian Share on the bench. I don't think, you know, he doesn't start as a, a central midfielder, defensive midfielder. But if you're going to play the three. Would it not have been better to have Cher who plays there for Switzerland rather than Fraser, who definitely isn't a central midfielder?
3: Oh, that's a that's a that's a bold suggestion, Chris. Given that share has played central defence midfield in Newcastle before and been absolutely rinsed, if I recall correctly, um, I would just like to see him at centre half, to be honest with you. But your point on Fraser disrupting the other two midfielders interesting. I probably disagree with it because I think. I just think the reality is Ryan Fraser, they cannot play in a, a narrower midfield position. He's a, he's a winger. He's an out-and-out out winger. And I think that... I don't think he disrupted Longstaff, let's say, because Longstaff's in his natural position. I think what you've got is you've got Ryan Fraser, who is a, a winger, playing in a narrow centre midfield. It's almost like he's overcompensating because he doesn't know how to play in cent- centrally, right? So he's kind of almost static in the centre of the park. Like he's not necess- He doesn't necessarily know how to play that position. What runs to make, when to go away, when to come back in, and then you have got Isaac Hayden on the right hand side of a three-man midfield, who isn't, in my opinion, he, that he again he is a, a central defensive midfielder. He's not someone who should be on the on the you know on the, on the right or the left of a, of a sort of narrow midfield. He should he needs to be in the centre, covering the sort of forty-yard area, kind of you know working side to side, making tackles, making blocks, closing down space. What Hayden tends to do when he's playing that position is he starts to drift out wide and he ends up almost becoming like a kind of auxiliary right-hand side of midfielder. And we saw that yesterday. He kept. Viren to the right hand side, and he cannot play in that position. So I don't think it's a case of player, as I say, Fraser disrupting other players' position uh, positions. I just think these players don't know how to play in those positions, and that that was that was my concern when I saw the lineup yesterday. Was he's picked a couple of players out of position again? So it is, um, and I think there is a place for Fraser in this relegation battle. Um, there's a place for Fraser if we play um, either a sort of four two three one or a you know a four four one one. He can he can play out wide, and he can play very well out wide as well.
2: Yeah, just to add on to that, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily blame Ryan Fraser for for for, for his performance yesterday. I did not think he was the worst in the team uh, at all. Um, I didn't think he even did. I don't think he even really did his job that badly. If I'm honest with you, uh, what I what I do remember is that him saying in an interview before the start of the season and saying that, you know, he's desperate to play. And he's, and he's willing to learn a new position in order to get onto the pitch. So I, I've kept that in mind when I watch him play because he's trying to learn a new position. It's very hard to learn on the job effectively, which is what he's done. Um, and also we have to remember that I don't think Ryan Fraser's played three games in a row since he's come to the club, um, and that's not necessarily due to or always due to injury. Um, it's due to non-selection as well. So he needs time to build up and get used to the way of playing. And just playing ninety minutes or close to ninety minutes on a regular basis, he'll need time. Personally, I was happy to see him start. I personally wanted him to see. A, I wanted to see a four-three-three, and I wanted him to see. I wanted to see him on the left. So Maxi on the right. Callum Wilson through the middle because that's where you get Ryan Fraser at his best making forward runs creating chances Uh, we don't get to see that he spent most of the time covering and supporting Matt Ritchie on the left hand side um, with Elise who was um, tearing him inside and out that's what he spent most of the game doing so you don't get to see the the Ryan Fraser that we want to see however my 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 other point was more to do with the other two centre midfielders. Uh, and it, it highlighted to me after about 15 minutes in this game, in the first half, how much of a need that, uh, uh, for January to come round, not to get a defensive solid midfielder, but to get someone that's creative. Because it's really clear to see that we haven't got a midfielder that is comfortable on the ball. How many times on midfield had the ball? Um, Isaac Hayden on the right-hand side of that three in midfield. Or Longstaff would receive the ball with, with Acres in the midfield and make a wrong pass or take too long on the ball and get it nicked. You need a player in there, like Kabai. Like we had that was that had a little bit of elegance on the ball that gets the ball knows how to uh, knows how to play a pass knows how to keep the ball ticking over from side to side. Neither of those players know how to do that, and and I argue that even Joe Willick doesn't play that way either. You know, the only one that does play that way is on Joe Shelver, but he can't do the other side of the job in terms of the dogged stuff, the 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 working, the 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 tireless running that those guys do put in over ninety minutes. So we're in a real difficult situation it was really really clear after about 15-20 minutes in the first half that whenever they got the ball if there wasn't a simple pass on within five yards of them they were just hoofing it forward and the amount of times we get possession back because we were just hoofing it long and you had Wilson and, and ASM just looking at them with their arms out as if to say what am I supposed to do with that and it was just running to the keeper or running back to their centre backs and then they were able to build again You can't play like that in the Premier League. You can't... If you're setting up the way we set up, you cannot afford to constantly give possession back to the opposition because your midfielders can't hold on to the ball. It's crazy um, that that happens. Um, And it's happened time and time again. Uh, And we need more so a creative midfielder, someone that's good on the ball, maybe even two in in January, rather than that big, solid defensive defensive midfielder that that we've all talked about. Certainly if we're going to play this position anyway. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centres or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: Yeah, well said. And I think we can all agree that Newcastle's Sentinel midfield has been a disgrace for a long time. And I think I think you all touched on this a little bit. You know, what is the purpose? What is Newcastle Central Midfield supposed to do? Because if, if you look at that game and that setup yesterday, and I have, I have some sympathy with Jones, okay, because Newcastle are the worst defensive team in the Premier League. All right, so he's got that problem. He's also got the problem of being, you know, in a relegation battle, potentially only being here for two games. The team desperate for points. The manager's gone. They've hardly trained for two weeks before the manager left, which. You know we'll get swept under the carpet, but could do long term damage to our survival chances this season. And he's got to make a decision, he's got to think, How do I get something out of this game? And he got something out of the game. However, <laughs> however, I agree with you, Pete, that we like we're simply in central midfield, or it's almost not the plan for central midfield players to do anything with the ball. Like you say, it can't just be the players that every time they kick the they get the ball. Either under pressure, or for break up or counter attack, or break an attack, the ball is just aimlessly kicked forward. So I wonder what these players are actually being told. Is it we've come here for a point? I mean Jones says post match he says we've come here to win. We haven't won. Fair enough, that's the right thing to say. Much better on message stuff from Jones than his predecessor. However, I think what what is Sean Longstaff told to do? What runs is Ryan Fraser supposed to be making? Where is Matt Ritchie supposed to be when we're in possession? When you, I don't have the answers to those questions from having watched that game and watched most of our games this season. And how much credit or how much blame does Jones get? Because he has, he has been the kind of main person, allegedly, behind the tactics, behind a lot of team selections this season. Yesterday's team selection and the tactics were more of the same for me. Lots of players played at opposition. Substitutions that were a little bit baffling. A weird kind of 5 3 2 formation instead of playing 5 2 3. And, and like you correctly said, Pete playing a Simon Fraser either side of Wilson, which the, which then meant they could drop into a 5 4 1 out of possession. But it wasn't like that at all, was it? Because as Norman says, either Caden's popping, popping up the right image field. Really, really strange one for me. And I don't think there's going to be too many solutions ahead of Chelsea next week, though John Joe Shelby does come back in to contention because he's no longer suspended. Let's talk about a player who's picked up a little bit of criticism recently, last two games in particular, Pete. Alan Saint maximin What are your thoughts on him, mate?
2: Uh well, Alan Saint maximin he he's he's a he's a wonderfully talented player, um uh, but uh has a number of flaws which is a concern for me. Um and a lot of them were seen in his performance yesterday. Um, I thought he was probably one of the worst performers on the pitch, if I'm honest. And I don't say that very often about him because he always has a moment of brilliance that really kind of lights up the game, no matter what. Um, He didn't yesterday he he i thought he was awful and um you know i, I like to watch certain players and i like and I, 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 and and i did and two players that i, I focused on was Elise, because um, i know about him and i've watched him play uh, for crystal palace and he was he was terrific uh, and then the other was Alicet Maximum. um his first sprint um was one of the worst sprints that i saw when he went to track down um one of their center backs it was it was half-hearted he couldn't, he, it was as if he couldn't be bothered um, to make a run. Um, and that set the tone for me of his performance for the rest of the game. It was a very half-hearted performance. Um, and for me, I have a concern with him moving forward. Now, it goes back to my point um, uh, with regards to Steve Bruce. Uh, now, he's been very vocal. Uh, 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 with regards to Steve Bruce leaving, he's talked about how great Steve Bruce was as a person. He's talked about, you know, how he's going to miss him as a manager, blah 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 blah, all the rest of it. Now, a lot of people have asked the question, why? Why has he? Uh, why has he done this? Um, and I believe um, it's because he's unsettled at the moment, um, massively. Uh, now, if we go back, if we rewind from before uh, he signed for Newcastle United, he had two managers previously at, at Nice. Um, Lucien Favre, who's interestingly linked with us, um, has been our new manager. And the other one was the manager in the opposition's dugout, Patrick Vieira. Neither of them were able to get the best out of Anacet Maximin. Maximum. Why? because they weren't able to put him in a tactical system that could allow him to play at his best and still keep the team in check. Um, But he's come to Bruce, um, and Bruce has been able to do that in the Premier League, in the best league in the world, has been able to do that, try and bring him in tactically, whether he's out on the left, whether he's out on the right, or even as a front two, to allow him to still tactically be able to shine and do his best in a team. I think now, and I think his future is secured at Newcastle for the time being, but I think now he's unsettled. And the reason being is because now Bruce is gone, a new managers is going to come in, a higher profile manager that's going to come in, that won't necessarily just accept Alan Set-Maximin and the way in which he plays. Okay, the top managers want players that want to play in a system, no matter how good you are. If you don't play in a system and you don't play in the way that they want to play, they will look to move you on or you'll find yourself on the bench and they'll be able to justify it. Now is with the financial power that we now have, that could well be the case. Now we, we've been talking about, Oh, it's great. We're, we, you know, we're the richest club in the world. We've got financial power. We've got ambition. We now can build a team around Alan set Maximin. I don't think Alan Maxim's is thinking like that. I think Alan saint is thinking, "I'm expendable here. I could potentially get moved on for how good I've been because I don't fit into the way in which a new manager might want us to play." Um, and I think there's a little bit of concern there. Now, has he done himself any justice in his performance yesterday? No, not at all. Um, and he needs to now between now. And the rest of the season, or in particular between now and when a new manager is appointed, he needs to show that actually he can play within the system and still be effective in games. Because if he can't, I do believe, not necessarily this season, may not even be next season, but maybe the season after, um, he might find himself at another club.
3: Great points. Um, really interesting, really interesting that Um I suppose, I mean, look, as a player, talent-wise, he is absolutely incredible, right? His natural football ability is, is quite spectacular. Like, like, really, like, nothing I've, I can say I've seen. Um, however, what, what you've said there's got me thinking about when he was at Nice under under Vieira. And Vieira said back in 2019, i quote "Yeah, yeah, um Alan's problem is that, sadly, he thinks that talent is enough to go to the highest level. And he needs to understand that. He needs to work to make sacrifices. He needs to suffer. And, sadly, he has not yet understood that. And then that got me thinking about your point we did done on a podcast earlier on in the season where you said that you don't get the impression he does any kind of weight training as well. So I think that, that sort of maverick element to his personality, that that maverick aspect of him, you, you, you could be right, a new manager comes in who's a bit more tactically um, uh, forensic, right? And he had, you know, like Rafa, right? He, like Let's say like Benitez, right? A, a manager who gives players specific roles and, you know, the need to stick to that kind of role. Or like when Guardiola basically has... You know, kind of, um he tells Raheem Stern exactly where he wants to be, on the, to be on the pitch at that point in time. So he may well struggle with that kind of manager. However, the reality is he's such a good player, and we're in such a poor position at the minute that the manager coming in has to learn to to work with him and to learn to get their best out. Because we absolutely need a top um, top of his form, Alan Sam Maxman. He's, he's like he's him and Wilson for me are the absolute keys to get out of the the next eleven games to get the points that we need to get into January in a position where we can we can actually make a fist of staying up.
1: Yeah, well said. And I think I share a lot of those concerns. I think Alain Maximine is a really, really, really good left winger in the Premier League. I don't think he's a very good striker. And I've, I've unfortunately had, had enough opportunities to see him play either as a front two or as the lone striker <laughs> under Bruce in the last, what, two or three games? Two, three, four games, actually. That would play it. Um, I think. I think any new manager is going to have to get him to to contribute defensively. I feel like Bruce moved him into the middle. One because Sir has said he prefers to play through the middle, but but so what? <laughs> That's not how football works. You don't just you know get to choose your position. And we saw against Spurs. I, I don't know if it was you who said it, Pete, or, or someone else said it. That you could, you could see his teammates against Spurs visibly frustrated with him just basically not tracking, you know, not looking behind him, not running back. He's a brilliant footballer, and he's our best player when he's on form. However, like you correctly say, new manager is going to have to work out. Because to me, if, if we're playing Anderson Maximan up front, the team, the team suffers. He should be on the wing, doing his thing, cutting inside, not getting on the long balls, or not jumping for long balls, or not, or not trying to. You know, you look at Newcastle yesterday, and playing playing two forward players. We had one shot or two shots in the whole game. So, you see, so you have to question that tactic and if it's working then I don't think it is but I like I'll let you come in for a final point on this one Pete before we we'll head to the end of the show.
2: Yeah, it was it was just the point that you that you just touched on with regards to you know at Maxim and you know frustrating the other players in and around him. You could see that yesterday as well uh, but for different reasons. I don't think I, I must have I think I lost count. It must have been 10, 12, 15 times in in the game. Um that Alan saint Maximum received the ball um, and then couldn't hold on to it. And he wasn't able to make a simple pass. There were two or three players in and around him with a simple pass that could just keep the ball ticking over. But he then was trying to do too much with it. And then two or three players would come around him and he was getting the ball nicked. Or the ball was coming into him and his first touch was so bad that it was just giving it back to the opposition. And you could see the players around him was just say, Phew. Because when you are playing a defensive for, um, formation and you were under the cosh, like we were, for long parts in the game, you need your best players to be able to soak up the pressure, hold up the ball and give your defence a rest. He did not do that. And I remember saying to the guys uh, that, that were either side of me, uh, when I saw... Um, uh, Willock and Almiron getting ready to come on. I said the two players that need to come off is Fraser and Alisson Maximum. Alisson Maxman has given nothing to this game, um, and the funnily, re- interestingly, the only time he started to even try and remotely play, uh, and I, I remember looking at Alisson Maximum as it happened. Miguel Almiron, on our left-hand side, so it was right near where the opposition... Where, where, sorry, where, where we were, where we, the away fans were. He picked up the ball, and for the first time in the game, he got the ball, and he drove forward. And he ran forward, and he committed a defender. And I think he won the free kick um, uh, halfway into their half, and it was a fantastic run. And you could see Alan saint just watching him, uh, watching him and thinking, why am I not doing that? Next time Alan St-Maxman gets the ball, bang, he does the same. The next time... Um, and Miggy starts to press the ball, bang, he starts to press the ball. And it was almost a realisation that actually maybe I should be doing this. But we can't wait for 60 minutes, 70 minutes in a game for him to realise that that's what he should be doing. He should be doing that from minute one because he was starting the game. And for me, I think there's a massive argument going into the Chelsea game that Miggy Almiron should be starting ahead of Alan St-Maximin. For how good Alan St-Maximin is, For me, that performance wasn't good enough. And if he needs to learn that his performance needs to be better, maybe he needs to have a a game on the bench.
1: It's a big call. It's a big call, but I like it. I like it. And I also think we talked about the central midfield earlier and just didn't even talk about Joe Willock, (laughs) which is probably, uh, you know, says something about his form this season, sadly, so far. And, you know, that's the thing. If you look at Newcastle's bench, there are options there. For whoever comes in, there are options. It's not like, when Benitez came in and he had to play Jack Colback and Suso at left back, like we're not we're not at that stage yet, but we're gonna have to finish the show off. Normally, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you have the final word. Nine points, sorry, nine games, four points. It's looking pretty bleak. Chelsea and Brighton to come. Bookmakers would have both of those teams as strong favourites in those games against Newcastle United. You are very worried about relegation, aren't you, mate?
3: I really am. Um, first of all, can I just say that Graham Jones post-match yesterday said he would like to give the players physical credit for um, the performance, which uh, which really got me mind ticking over. What a brilliant thing to say. Um, plenty more of those, please, yeah, Graham. Uh, The Yeah, mate, we're in a massive relegation battle. I think what, what's happened is because of the takeover and because of the assumption we're going to go and spend loads of money and you know, start winning trophies and whatnot, challenge our trophies, challenging our Europe in the next few years, it's almost like we've forgotten that we're actually in a really really bad position um the games coming up the 11 games we've got before we can even bring in a new player i mean there are some absolute belters in there you're talking liverpool man city uh, man united you know as you said brighton away is going to be an incredibly difficult game chelsea thumped norwich i mean i know that's no great indicator of anything but like chelsea and atutosh regardless of you know newcastle have always got a good record against chelsea at home it means nothing right on a new manager it means literally nothing um and if we lose these next two games, I mean, it, it's getting to the stage where, we, even a new manager coming in, we're already going to be cut a adrift to the extent that he's got to probably go on like a five or six game winning streak almost almost immediately, right? Um, so I'm deeply concerned, and obviously, the talk of Fonseca coming in as manager now, you know, there've been whispers again that this isn't actually the case. Um, it may be Fonseca's people just putting it out there, much like I think um, I think happened with with Spurs, if I'm. Uh, correctly, Alex. I think you mentioned that to me. So my concern, regardless of what he make, how good he might be as a manager, and I didn't know much about him until really was linked with the Newcastle job, and I started reading up on him. And he, he looks at he looks like he could be an excellent manager, but for me, possibly the kind of manager who would need a whole pre season, and you know, would need to bring these own players, and would take time to to kind of embed what he wants to do. I think right now we need a manager who's just kind of an impact like that bang. I mean, in a, in a real kind of. Presence who get into that dressing room on that training ground, and the players just Stuart we are looking up, looking up at this person. Um, it's almost like the next appointment, the managerial appointment, is more important than they like kind of the first three football, first the first three players. We're saying it has got to be right because we are in a really serious relegation battle, and Watford's result yesterday was, you know, that was terrible for her.
1: Totally agree. Totally agree. It's going to be very interesting, isn't it? Because this Chelsea game, if Newcastle lose that game next week, it's likely it we'll be cut adrift already in the bottom three, which is uh, a worrying thought going in there. Not even in November yet. There will be uh, after the Chelsea game, just about. I'm going to call it there. Thanks so much to you three for coming on the show. Thanks, everyone who listens. Hopefully, we'll have uh, a win to talk about soon after Chelsea, but. I'm not so sure myself. We'll have a full uh, Chelsea preview this week, as well as plenty of other shows on our Patreon platform, £5.50 a month, for lots more of these podcasts. Thank you to everybody who listens to the show and watches. Thanks to you three again. We'll speak to everyone after the Chelsea game on the True Faith 3 podcast next week. Cheers. Bye bye.
0: Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.